At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it is Mother's Day, right? And what a, what a great day this is. You know, I, I think about Mother's Day, I think about last Sunday, um, I had a number of mothers that are very important to me uh, right there with us in our house. Uh, my mom came and visited, and that was wonderful. Uh, my sister, who is a few years older than me, was like a second mom to me when I was very young, was there also, and then my wife. And so we had a, a wonderful time. And I know some of you have already had celebrations like this. Others of you are hoping that I wrap this up quick so you can get to uh, your celebration today. Um, but for others in the room, even just bringing this up might be causing some sense of anxiety to build within you. And I'm talking to you men who might have forgotten that today is Mother's Day and you're wondering how you can provide a diversion to stop by Target or Crest on the way home uh, to get that perfect or at least the available set of flowers to give. Uh, but, but, you know, stress at Mother's Day for men is uh, something that is multi-layered. I think about John Acuff, an author and comedian, posted this to his Instagram account this week. He recalled a conversation with his wife, Jenny, who said to him, don't get me anything for Mother's Day. Get your mom something. You're not my child. To which John responded, is this a trap? <laughs> so it can be challenging. But, but here's the thing. As we gather today, regardless of, of the emotions and feelings that you have, Know that as we gather today, we're going to unify not under a banner or a title like mom, even as important as that is. But today we're going to unite under the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to open God's word and see the truth of God about Jesus revealed for us so that we might get to know him better. That's the purpose for our gathering today. And so we're going to do that. Now, you might remember back at the beginning of 2021, we spent a number of weeks in Galatians chapters 1 and 2 in a series that we called The New Normal. Now, you, you might be thinking, whatever happened to that letter to the Galatians? You know, we, we haven't been in it for a number of weeks. Well, today is our time of return. And so we're coming back to Paul's letter to the Galatians today as we begin a seven-part series this morning called The New Way. If we began the year talking about the new normal, we're now going to talk about the new way. And by the new way, I mean the new way of Jesus, the Jesus way of living, and how it differs from the old way under the law. We're going to see that over the next several weeks, and today we're going to begin that study by looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I want to read those 14 verses for us, and then after I read them, we're going to back up, and I'm going to make three observations about the Jesus way, comparing the new way of Jesus with the old way of the law uh, to help really serve as an introduction for our study over the next several Sundays. So Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to his friends in Galatia and says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, friends, in those 14 verses, I want us to see three things about this new way of Christ. Well, what are they? Well, the first thing has to do with the very first word we see in this passage, and that is the word fool. Paul begins, and he he calls them fools. Well, what do we mean, or what did Paul mean when he called them a fool? Well, The definition might flow something like this. The fool is someone who thinks that Jesus is not enough. The fool is someone who thinks that Jesus is not enough. Not enough for our salvation. Not enough to sanctify us or to grow us in our faith. The fool is someone who does not recognize that fact. Now, when I say the word fool, I thought about a specific quote that I want to share that's very profound. And it's from Mr. T., I pity the fool. I can't use that word uh, without thinking about the A-team. I'm a child of the 80s, no doubt. Uh, But when when I think about how Paul uses this phrase here, it's not just for effect. It's not just to be silly. He uses the word fool here very specifically. The word fool in the original language has the idea of one who is spiritually dull, Somebody who doesn't understand. Somebody who who sees the spiritual input but doesn't draw the appropriate conclusion. Someone who, who observes the world around us but does not respond in faith as God intends. This is the idea of the fool. And Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, Galatians, my friends, you are exhibiting foolish behavior. You are showing signs of being spiritually very dull. And the idea that he was, he was getting at in this, this moment is that they were abandoning the basic truth of Jesus that Paul had so plainly taught them. Well, what was that message of Jesus that Paul so plainly taught them? Well, he tells us the end of verse 1. He says the message that he presented before them was that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, when he said that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, what did he mean? Let's remember our geography. Galatia was in the area that is modern-day Turkey. Jesus was crucified where? In Jerusalem. So the people of Galatia did not publicly see Jesus hanging on that tree. But what Paul is saying is he says, When I was ministering among you, I made the message of Jesus' death very clear to you. 
So clear that it's as, as if Paul says, I put it on a poster board, I hung it around my neck, and I walked around proclaiming to you the message again and again and again that Jesus died. He died for your sins. What Paul was saying was, he says, when I was with you, I didn't just proclaim that Jesus was a good teacher message. I didn't just proclaim to you that Jesus was a good guy message. I, I didn't just proclaim to you that Jesus was a miracle worker message. Paul says, when I was among you, I made it very clear that Jesus did something of incredible consequence for you, and that is that he died on the cross for your sins. Paul says, that is enough. It was enough for your salvation. It's enough for your spiritual growth, for you to understand and embrace that truth and everything God unleashes through that truth in their lives. But for whatever reason, the Galatians, who had heard that message so clearly, had already begun to wander away. So much so that Paul would mention it on numerous occasions inside of this letter. Remember back in chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says this, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now let's remember our timeline. Paul visited the Galatians on his first missionary journey, somewhere between 47 and 48 A.D. And then upon returning to Antioch, he writes a letter to them sometime at the end of 48 or the beginning of 49 A.D. Paul says, when I was with you, we saw eye to eye. We understood this clearly, that it was on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone that we have salvation. And yet Paul says, I, I leave and no more than a year later, you have already begun to wander into another way. I'm astonished at that. Why would you turn to a different belief, a different practice? This is the idea that he gets into in verse 3, where he describes what that different practice was. The different practice that he describes was this. They had begun by the Spirit, but now they were being perfected by the flesh. This was basically what was happening in Galatia. They thought, okay, we believed in Jesus' death on the cross, and that saved us. But now, for us to live out our Christian life, we need to retreat back to the Old Testament law. We have been saved by the new way of Christ, but now we need to keep all of the commandments of the Old Testament. Now, when Paul is describing this situation... We saw in chapter 1 that he was astonished. But he was astonished because why would anybody who understands what Jesus has done for us float back to any old way? He would even go so far as to say, I think that you have been bewitched. You've had a, a spell cast over you for you to make such a terrible exchange. But when Paul said this, he understood that they were being influenced by someone else. And Paul knew who it was. It was the very same people who had tried to influence them in the first days of their faith in Jesus to walk away from him. It was the unbelieving Jews. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verse 2. It says, The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. In other words, as quickly as Paul was leading them to Christ, these unbelieving Jews were coming behind him and saying, you don't do what he says. You can have Jesus if you want, but what you really need is the Old Testament law. And so this contrast and this battle was going on. 
And Paul says, you foolish Galatians. When we were together, you understood, but now you're showing signs of spiritual dullness. You're floating back to the law. Now, it's easy for us to look at someone else's situation and say, oh, you foolish Galatians. But let's stop for a moment and think about our own situation. Do we ever float back to the law? Now, we might not float back to all of the Old Testament commandments in the same way that they were being taught and tempted to. But the reality is that all of us have a desire at times to float away from Christ and to come up with some shortcut to our spiritual growth, something that we can control, something that is totally within our power. Because let's be honest, our spiritual growth at times feels too slow for us. We came to Christ, we went to camp, we came back fired up, and then we went to school, we went to work, we did whatever on Monday, and we began that pattern of sin, and we realized that there's still something that's not quite right with us. And rather than continuing in the Jesus way, we begin to think that maybe there's something I'm missing Maybe there's something else that I need in order to shortcut my spiritual life and and leapfrog ahead. Maybe it's the wrong Bible. Maybe I'm, I'm reading the wrong Bible. What Bible are you reading? Is that ESV? Maybe it's the ESV Bible. I've had NIV. Maybe that's my problem. I need the ESV Bible. Maybe it's the church that I'm attending. It's, it's not that I need to get to that church because at that church, everybody seems to be having it all together. And so we begin to, in this pursuit of our own works, for the growth in our relationship with God. But what Paul says here is he says that Jesus is enough, and we should never, ever forget that. When we come to Christ, God places within us everything that we need for growth. You know, earlier on the stage up here tonight, today, we had, we had a number of different families with babies, right? They were beautiful little babies up here. You realize that all of those babies have everything that they need for growth? Now, they need more food, and they need care, and they need some protection. They need those things, right? But they have all of the equipment that they need for life. It's not as though they're going to go to the doctor at the nine-month mark, and he's going to give them ears. They're not going to go to the doctor at the two-year mark, and the doctor's going to give them a mouth. Believe me, they have mouths. Just ask their parents. They have all of the equipment. And their growth, though we might say things like they grow up too fast, it happens over a long period of time as they grow incrementally year by year, day by day. God has has built the human body in this amazing way that it grows and matures over time. And the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with Christ. When we trust in Him, God gives us everything we need for spiritual growth. We are forgiven Once and for all in that moment, we are given the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit we will ever get, we get at the moment of our belief. It is placed inside of us. What happens over the course of our Christian life is that we mature and we develop in that, but we don't mature and develop because of our own fleshly actions or adherence to some Old Testament law, but it comes the same way it began, by grace, through faith. Throughout this series, this morning is just an introduction. We're going to see what that looks like to live by grace through faith. But it's important for us to remember that to live any other way is a foolish endeavor because it's thinking that Jesus is not enough. 
Well, after making this statement in verse 1 and verse 3, Paul begins to give now a couple of different lines of argumentation for why we should rest in Christ and trust in Him. Well, what are those? Well, one of those lines of argumentation that he gives is found in verse 2 and verses 4 and 5, and that is this. He says, don't be a fool. Look to your personal experience. Look to your personal experience. Now, he does that by asking the Galatians a number of consecutive rhetorical questions. He's going to ask them a number of things. Well, what does he ask them? First question he asks them is this. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, remember when you trusted Christ. I was there, you were there. We we were all there together as we came to your cities and we preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, when you trusted Christ, the Spirit came within you. Paul is, is saying basically this. Did the Spirit come after you lived a perfect life? Did the Spirit come after you learned all about the law and you understood every part of the Scripture and you had every question answered? Then did the Spirit come? And the Galatians would have to look at each other and go, that's not the way it happened. You preached publicly the message of Jesus. And when we believed it, the Spirit came and dwelled within us. We cannot deny that. Paul says, Great. It came by the grace of God through faith. Remember that. Then he continues. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He says, remember when I was there among you and and we proclaimed Christ and we talked about Jesus as the only way for us to begin a relationship with God, for us to grow in a relationship with God. And the Galatians were like, yeah, you were very clear about that. That message was publicly portrayed about Jesus' crucifixion. Paul says, why would we have endured the beatings that we took from the the Jewish people, the unbelieving Jewish people, if we did not believe that the message we were proclaiming was right? Like, yeah, that that, that is weird. We, We weren't missing what they were selling. They were selling you the wrong thing. And then he asked them a third question. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He he asks him this question. He says, when I was among you, miracles happened. Don't believe me? Go look at Acts chapter 14 when Paul was in that region. Chapter 14, verse 3 says, a number of different signs and wonders were performed by Paul and, and, and Barnabas as they were ministering in their midst. One of those specific miracles is detailed in chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, where a crippled person is is healed. The one that that couldn't walk now was walking and dancing and jumping. When Paul says this, he says, remember those miracles? It's not just an abstract thing. There was a dude in the church that couldn't walk and now could walk. And he says, you know, look at me. Look at my legs. He's talking about me in this moment. And they turn to him. They say, Did did that miracle happen to you because you lived out the law perfectly? Or because Jesus, in His grace, healed you? And we believe that it's Jesus who did the work. They all had to say, without question, this is a work of God, a product of His grace. See, Paul appeals to their personal experience. And through a series of questions, he reminds them of their story to let them know that this ongoing Christian life 
is something that is a product of the grace of God that we receive in faith, not something that we grow through a return to the Old Testament law. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment in in our own lives. And I want want us to to go back and I I want you to think about your personal experience. I want you to think about the time when you first trusted in Christ, when your Christian journey began. Go back, go there in your head right now. Just just think about where where were you? What was going on that night, that day, that season of your life? Now, I want to ask you a question. Did your salvation come after you got all of your questions answered so that you had perfect knowledge? Did your salvation come after you had a track record of godly living that went on for some indefinite period of time? Did your salvation come because you completed the class, because you got the gold star on the wall? No. If we're honest, when we think about our salvation, where did it come from? It came from God's gracious work in our lives. It came from God opening our eyes to understand that Jesus died for our sins so that we might believe and embrace him in faith with the faith that he gives us so that we might live in a relationship with him. Friends, that is our story, and we need to remember it. And so when I think of looking to our experience to remind how our relationship with Jesus began, I want you to actually do that. I want you to remember your story. Now, I gave you a couple of minutes, and so you you might be thinking already of how your story began in your relationship with God. But if you didn't have time or I was talking too much, take some time today to remember your story, to remember what happened. Now, for some of you, you might your story might just be beginning. Today might be the, the introduction or the first chapter. But I want you to think about the beginnings of your relationship with God. And as you remember that story, I want you to tell it to someone else. If, if you have the opportunity as you've thought about it, I want you to share that story with somebody over lunch today. You're like, we're supposed to celebrate mom today. Trust me, it'll bless mom for you to tell her about God's faithfulness in your life. Take a moment and just think about the story of what God has done in your life about how you came into a relationship with him. Add scripture to that story that, that helped make sense of it. Scripture that you heard the day that you trusted Christ or Scripture that you look at today that accurately describes your experience. Think of songs that you might sing about that experience that help describe the reality of what happened. You know, for me in my life, I go back and I think about the the night that I trusted in Christ, Easter Sunday, 1990 at East Cross United Methodist Church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma in the Fellowship Hall. I can just see it. I can almost smell it. Um, as I think back to that night, the night where God parted the clouds and I understood the depth of my sin and my need for a Savior and how Jesus was that Savior. When I think about Scripture that describes that, I think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace that Mark has been saved through faith, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And when I think of a song to sing over the top of that, I think of, since it was in a Methodist church, I think of the good Wesleyan hymn, And Can It Be, that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood. 
Friends, when I go back and I think of my story, and when you go back and you think of your story, if we understand what happened in that moment, we will see a story of salvation by grace through faith. And if that's the case, then I want us to also think about Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, that says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. If I was to paraphrase that in my vernacular, I would say, dance with the one who brung you. If our salvation is by grace through faith in the work of Jesus, then I should continue to live the by grace through faith in Jesus' life. My hope is not found in my adherence to some Old Testament standard. It's found in the work of Jesus, the living and risen Christ. Now, after making this argument about our personal experience, Paul continues to give another argument. And he says, don't be a fool. Look to the biblical evidence. Now, this is an important thing for him to do because our personal experience, as powerful as it is for us to remember what happened to me and what happened to you, we can be wrong, right? Our experience can, can lead us in the wrong direction. We can misunderstand it in some way. And so Paul doesn't just anchor our hope in Christ to what we have seen and felt, but he's going to also anchor it to the unchanging Word of God. And he's going to use in verses 6 to 14, six different Old Testament passages to argue for the new way of Christ. Now, I think it's important for us to think of the significance of that. Paul uses six different Old Testament passages to argue about the New Testament experience of Christians. Now, this was important because what were the unbelieving Jews using to try to convince the Galatians to abandon Jesus in favor of the law. They were using the Old Testament. And so Paul says, I will see your Old Testament, and I will raise you a correct understanding of the Old Testament. And so he quotes them these six passages. Well, what does he say? Well, the first thing he does is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when Abraham believes says, Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, for some in the room, you went to VBS as a kid, you know who Abraham is. But for others in the room who might not be familiar with Abraham, here's what you need to know about Abraham. Abraham, to a Jew, is the goat, right? He is the greatest of all time. He was the one at the very beginning who God initiated this relationship with that ultimately went down through his descendants and the nation of Israel looked back to him as kind of the founder of their faith. Remember, Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Y'all got Abraham now, right? That's who we're talking about. Well, Abraham didn't always have many sons. As a matter of fact, there was a time when Abraham's tent was empty. Abraham and Sarah had an empty tent, and God had said they were going to have a lot of kids, and yet they didn't have any kids. And so they had a lot of late-night conversations and a lot of prayers, maybe some prayers like some of you are praying right now. But God spoke very clearly to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, don't worry. I am going to give you the descendants that I promised. And he takes him outside his tent, and he says, look up at the sky. Do you see all those stars in the sky, Abraham? Those represent the descendants that will come from you. And you know what Abraham said? Abraham said, I believe God. 
And because he believed, it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was not declared righteous because of his adherence to the law. The law had not even been given yet. Abraham was declared righteous because of his belief in God. And so, in a sense, Paul is saying, look back to Abraham, the goat, to see and remember that it's always been about faith. And then in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, part of the original promise that God gave to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Paul quotes this here to, to remind the Galatians, hey, you're included in this not by accident. And you're included in this not because you're going to become a Jew. You're included in this because it was God's plan from the beginning for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come into a relationship with God and follow him on the basis of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That was the idea from the start. Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, would be the path for all people, including you and me, to connect to God. He's making the argument from the biblical evidence. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 He quotes Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26, where he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book. It's as if Paul says in this moment, you know, the problem with the law is the law is long. And the problem with the law is the law is hard. The law does a very good job at revealing to us our sin. But it doesn't do a good job at saving us. As a matter of fact, because of the law, everyone who, who doesn't abide by all the things in the law are cursed. So if you fall short in just one area, you are guilty of it all. Paul says, the Old Testament doesn't save us. The Old Testament doesn't even pretend to try to save us. The Old Testament reminds us of our need for saving and points us in the direction of Jesus. And then in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. One of the most often quoted Old Testament passages, it anchors this idea of our righteousness being coming, or Jesus' righteousness coming to us after our faith in him. And then Galatians chapter 3 verse 12, he quotes Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5, he says, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, the way of Jesus is the way of the Spirit, the way of faith. The the law is something that just demands that we do it, and we can't. And then in verse 13, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is where he draws the gospel together. He says, because we can't live out the law perfectly, we are under a curse, under the wrath and the judgment of God. But Jesus came and hung on a tree to take the curse that was meant for us. Paul's argument that the Jesus way has been the way from the very beginning. It's God's plan for us. Now, when we take all of that together and we see the biblical evidence that he gives for this, It's helpful for us to kind of conclude this message by seeing what they were comparing. The old way of the law versus the new way of the Spirit. Well, what is the old way of the law? Well, a number of things we've seen inside of these verses. 
The first thing that we know about the old is he calls them the works of the law in verse 2. Their adherence to this Old Testament standard. He understands this old way as powered by the flesh. In other words, we can only do what we can do. We have no assistance in the matter. It's something that ultimately had an impact for only one nation. In chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, we see Peter's confusion over understanding that this was a message for all people. This old covenant was primarily one that was distributed to one people, the people of Israel. This old situation was also temporary. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 tells us that it was never intended to be permanent. It was always intended to become obsolete after it had fulfilled its purpose. Under the law and the old way, we find ourselves cursed and leading to death. So that is the old way. But, but what is the new way? What is the new way? Well, the new way, friends, is quite different. It's not about the works of the law. It's about faith in Jesus. It's not powered only by us and limited by what we can do, but it's powered by the Spirit of God, a power that was capable of raising Jesus from the dead. It now lives in us. The old was for one nation. The new is for all nations. The old was temporary. The new points back to the original design of God and brings forth permanent blessings, something we'll see even more next Sunday. The old leads to a curse. The new sees Jesus taking our curse so that we might live. The old leads to death, and the new leads to life. The question, friends, that we need to ask ourselves is why, why, why would anyone choose the old when the new is available to us? We may want to go this way because we feel like we can control it. We may want to go this way because we feel like it gives us an ability to to rank our spirituality among each other because we can come up with some criteria that we can see and judge and measure. But ultimately, it is an inferior way. All of us in the room today have the Jesus way available to us. The question is, are we embracing it by faith? And are we continuing in it by faith? If you wonder specifically what it looks like for us to continue in this way, keep coming back over the next few weeks because we're going to see Paul explain this a little more in the verses ahead. But for any who are here today who have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that you've begun a prologue or you've had an introduction to your story with Jesus and your introduction was walking in here this morning at the invitation of a friend. Know that the story can begin with chapter 1 right now if you just would trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Our sin leads to a curse, but Jesus died to take that curse so that we might live. That's activated in our lives not by our work, but by faith in His work on our behalf. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to to open your word and to see your truth today. I pray that we would be a people, every one of us, who would be trusting in Jesus, not just for our salvation, but also for our growth. 
Lord, over the weeks ahead, as we look at these verses, may we all find our hope and our life in Him, that we would not float back to just our own strength and power, but we would see all that you can do for us in Christ. And we would trust you on a daily basis with all things. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 